Hey, this is Pauline, and I am coming to you from the first Perilous Pauline podcast, The Three Ps. Um, and I just want to give a shout out to Elmer Plotz. He is a musical, uh, West New York primarily, musical historian and documentarian. Uh, and he's helping me out with the technical stuff today. There's so much to talk about. Uh, we are going to be celebrating the life of Mark Dean Freeland, who I believe would be 65 years old today. This is the only way I can figure myself being known as the uh, the grandfather of punk rock in Buffalo or the new wave. This is the only way I can figure out that that came about. Because the actual, well, I'll tell you who the actual grandfather of it is in a minute. But the only way I can figure it out is that I had been doing my own thing, which included dressing insane, not on stage, but everywhere I went. And not just on stage, but all the time, including in high school and everything. So I just want to introduce now our first guest, Tony Bellani. Hi, Tony. Hey, Pauline. <laughs> Tony and I have known each other for a long time. Um, he was a friend of Mark Dean Freeland's. He is an avant-garde sax player, my words. He was in a lot of bands. A past Kenmore, New York prankster. Uh, he was definitely involved and may still be involved with Offbeat Cinema. Hallwell's Ride for Roswell. He's a newlywedish kind of guy, and he is the director of Tobacco Free Western New York. Wow. Yeah, wow. You're busy. I am. And I, I've got two uh, young adult kids at age 18 and 20. <gasps> oh my gosh. Young adults. Wait till they're like older, older, where you just really can't tell them what to do at all. It's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I want to focus on the early years with Mark Freeland um, with this interview, and we can talk about sure. whatever we want in addition to that. But um, so how old were you when you met Mark? Uh, I, I don't know if I could pin an age on it, but it was at St. Paul's School in Kenmore where we were both attending. And Mark is a year ahead of me. So it might have been third or fourth grade, so uh, eight or nine. And my my clearest memory was uh, seeing this kid with this uh, full head of uh, curly hair. Yeah. And he had a long, like trench, not not a trench, like a long tweed coat that like an old man would be wearing. And and in the lapel of the coat was a a a button. <laughs> That was a picture of Spiro Agnew, and, and the button said "Keep Nixon Alive." <laughs> so that—that's there's maybe the timing of it. So it had to be uh, like sixty-eight, sixty-nine, and that would have put me at like eight or nine or ten or eleven or so. Wow, that's a long time. So um, he, so you went to elementary school with him, middle yeah. school, and that was in Kenmore, correct? Yes, that's we both grew up. Uh, our our families. Uh, both belong to uh, St. Paul's uh, Parish. His mother was very uh, religious. Yes, I know. Yeah. As was mine. Uh-huh. I think she used to have Bible studies at her house, actually. 
Uh, could very well be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember sneaking in at four in the morning <laughs> and uh, then we would, you know, Mark and I were friends and we would stay up till very late and early in the morning and then we'd go like walk past her window and she was there with coffee having a Bible study and I just will never forget that. Oh, yeah. 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 So uh, are you still in Kenmore, by the way? I'm back in Kenmore. I was uh, in, in Buffalo uh, for pretty much all of my adult life. Uh, when I left my uh, house of uh, where I grew up uh, and, and uh, lived in Buffalo um, from about 18 and, until I got uh, divorced uh, several years ago. And uh, the house I found upon getting divorced was uh, a block and a half from where I grew up. Wow. That's awesome. So because- you can't go home again. Yeah, right. So because Mark was a lover of all things Kenmore. I mean, he when I listen to interviews that Elmer had done with him, he is just totally confident of the fact that Kenmore was the birth of like punk rock in Western New York. And uh, he just loved Kenmore. And he thought everybody in Kenmore, you know, went did really great things, which they did. But I think his heart was always in Kenmore, actually. Yeah, he did a lot. He he did uh, uh, probably uh, um, more. I don't know more than anything, but he did an, a great great deal to uh, pull people along and pulled me along. Um, he uh, was a si- significant part of me growing into being an artist uh, and and loving the arts. I mean, uh, we we had uh, um, a lot of years together, uh, just picking it up. Well, can you just tell me a little bit about that? Like, how did he, you know, guide you or inspire you along to be an artist? Um, well, uh, I was a fan first, you know. Uh, me and a bunch of friends uh, were just completely uh, enamored with uh, um, progressive music. And I don't know whether we were enamored with progressive music and then we discovered Rodan and uh, – Right. Uh, Pegasus mm-hmm. and Rodan were sort of like the big brothers uh, to Pegasus with these guys a little older, like Victor Marwin and, and, and uh, um, Teddy Reinhardt and yeah. uh, uh, Bracado and Billy Ludwig, uh, Rick McGurr. Mm-hmm. Um, and they played at McVans every Sunday night. And then um, I don't know when it happened, but Pe- Pegasus got um, every Thursday night gig and me and uh, some friends, uh, um, I had a cousin who lived on the West side and through him, I met these other friends who lived near him and, uh, we were all into that music. And at the same time, uh, the century theater was happening right, and, right. Uh, bands were coming through there. I mean, you could go on a night on a Saturday night for like eight bucks and see four bands. I mean, you'd be there from 7 uh, PM until midnight and you could see gentle giant and the tubes yep. and Leonard Skinner. I remember one time Leonard Skinner may have come through Buffalo like four times. It was just like, I think I saw them all four times. Believe <laughs> it. I was on, I, 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 and I was in the, the pit for when the tubes came by and Mary, Mary Moser, God rest her soul was with us. And, and she ends up on stage and starts bashing fee way bill with a, with a uh, giant cigarette butt. <laughs> And, you know, that's what, uh, Freeland would always um, notice how far ahead of the world he was, like when the tubes came and had their giant cigarette and Freeland already was doing stuff like that with props and masks and costumes on this tiny stage at McVans. I mean, they staged a four-part rock opera, right? Um, Alienation at McVans. Um, so I was, uh, I was uh, uh, just a fan of the band and... Um, I really can't say when um, our friendship uh, uh, tightened up, um, but I think, it, you know, it was as, uh, you know, that was like when I was, uh, we were still in high school and yeah. we used to just find our way over there. And um, then, you know, the band started having internal difficulties uh, uh, in the later 70s as, uh um, everyone kind of graduated from high school and figured out trying to figure out what's next. And they had this practice place in a in a building on um, uh, is either uh, Delaware, uh, wasn't it? Wasn't it? No, Delaware? no, uh, no. They were over on uh, Tacoma or Taunton. I think it was Tacoma between uh, Colvin and Delaware. Oh yeah, that's and, right. Uh, um, 
it was kind of like uh, what what ended up leading to the dissolution of uh, Pegasus, and um, it was I don't know whether it was a summer, might have been a summer like uh, af- like the summer like of seventy seven, because that's when all the new wave things started happening, and I think that's when uh, Freeland's head was starting to get filled up with uh, possibilities uh, of doing stuff besides like elaborate seven minute pieces, right. Um, and, and, uh, they were writing their own music too. That was what's incredible. That's a huge thing. And you know what? I remember, I believe that I went to McVans and saw Rodan and maybe Pegasus opened up for them. And that's how I got to know Pegasus. And then every Thursday night I went to McVans because it was a huge show. I mean, you know, like theatrical is not even, doesn't even give that show justice. I mean, there was... Films and just everything you could imagine, multi, multi, multi. And uh, I was, like many others, enamored with Mark. Uh, in fact, <laughs> I always call him my first, my first boyfriend. He was kind of my first addiction, but we won't talk about that right now. <laughs> uh, but we could do that later. Uh, so, sure. <laughs> but anyways, um, getting back to, uh, okay. There's a lot of people's first addiction. Uh, okay. All right. Well, I can well, talk about that too because that's uh, um, in addition to um, you know Freeland's basement was like a a, a pop culture museum. Yes. Um, I mean that's where things happened uh, of all kinds of stuff. Um, but he had uh, in the basement an incredible record collection. Yeah. And I was also getting into music myself, uh, so I was finding music. But he had such a um, a broad array of music that I couldn't even imagine what I was missing because I, you know, I basically came up um, on popular music, whatever my brothers happened to be listening to, which was, uh, you know, um, um, you know, seventies metal, Jethro uh, Tull, Led Zeppelin, you know, uh, punk, you know, Led Zeppelin, yeah. uh, Pink Floyd, uh, um, you know, whatever else. And, and then, then I found, uh, um, I don't know how I, and then I had a friend up the street who also had a lot of different interests. And he and I kind of bonded about more music than just the most popular stuff. And uh, I think together we found uh, Frank Zappa. Mm-hmm. And then really um, he got very interested in the progressive stuff. And that's when it, it started to open up for me. But along the way, I never listened to uh, anything um, like that. All the folks I met in New York City were into, which was like the whole side of um, you know, American uh, um, rock and roll, uh, you know, going all the way from the 60s up, you know, uh, uh, Dylan and California and, uh, um, you know, everything, you know, and everything else. And even even just uh, roots music like the blues or uh, um, original country and stuff like that just did not even penetrate until much later for me. Uh-huh. Um, what did start to come in, though, was uh, 77 happened. And uh, yep. Um, when I first heard punk rock, I was like, oh, what's that? And, uh, you know, it didn't sound like Genesis uh, or Gentle Giant. And uh, but then something clicked. I don't know what it was, but the, the visceral feeling of uh, of God Save the Queen and the Clash, just like uh, a, a switch went on. Yep. And I uh, was off to the races. And I thought the Clash was one of the coolest bands uh, that ever came along, um, you know, pretty much up until... Uh, sandinista yeah um and i had all their original singles i mean that that to me that first uh album uh the green album that came out in in the uk uh was available for a couple years before they had any penetration in america right and And i know that listen to that album every single night i know i know and i know that you know mark considered himself the godfather of punk in the western new york area and he talked a lot about those days and he had this great band, the Femmes, uh, that was, I, I, I don't, what do you want to, I mean, they, sometimes they were punk rock. Sometimes they were funky. Sometimes they were, they did, you know, raps and things like that, <laughs> but that was, <laughs> but they rapped. I, was, I, I think I was present at their very first gig and I, I could almost still remember what a, what a train wreck it was. But let, <laughs> let me go back just a little bit before that. Um, so as this stuff was, uh, starting to, uh, you know, I think I, I hit Mark at the right possible moment for what he might've needed 
um, with uh, looking outward because I was uh, also starting to get, you know, I, I think I'd begun college and had started to meet other people. And somehow I got interested in Jamaican reggae uh-huh. um, and uh, started to find uh, authentic Jamaican singles from uh, Toronto when we would go up there for music. I mean, we were at the we were at the second class show in in North America. I think wow. I learned later. We thought Toronto was their first show. Mm-hmm. Um, they played this uh, old this tiny theater um, um, on the outskirts of town, uh, Rex Danforth Theater. Um, and uh, I found their first show was actually in Vancouver or something like that. And then they came over to Toronto, and they couldn't believe the reception they got. That people actually knew who they were and were into what they were doing. We were all on stage. Um, pogoing with them. There you and go. Set, and they were like, this is the coolest thing since yeah. sliced bread. Um, you know, these bands like uh, Talus, uh, um, Cock Robins, Switch, um, you know, tons of bands. And they were getting played, playing out three, four nights a week um, and getting like five, six hundred bucks, which back then was a lot of money. Right. Um, and Pegasus couldn't uh, go anywhere beyond McVans because um, the whole band scene was locked up by these two guys named Fred, um, Caserta and Saya. Right, right, right. And if you weren't playing their brand of music, you were out. And no one could cut through anything. So they were feeling pretty um, um, un- sad and insecure and frustrated. Right. And they were actually toying with the idea of just putting together uh, a set of cl- – of, uh, of cover music and being a cover band when they needed to be. And, yeah. uh, but at the same time, Freeland had these grand ideas, which eventually led to become, uh, uh, Mark Freeland's electro man. Right. Um, so I was hanging with him every night during those, dur- during that time for like, I, I don't know if it was months or like definitely a summer. And here's what, here's what would happen. Um, so in addition to Mark opening my eyes to, uh, um, um, a lot of different new types of music and art um, and new ways of thinking. Uh, I, you know, and we all know uh, Mark's love affair with beer back in the day. Yes. Uh, he opened my eyes to that, to a new level. Uh, I would say my first uh, patron saint in that area was my dad who could put down two beers before he sat down from his day of work. But that's another story. Uh, that's another, so, that's actually another podcast. I'd love to hear that. <laughs> um, so you know we, what? Would, we would walk from Mark's house on Wardman and Kenmore to the practice place. Uh, and we were walking, you know, so it was about a mile maybe. I don't know. Um, and we had to um, finish practice by at least 1040 so we could get to the convenience store uh, <laughs> at um, um, almost Kenmore and uh, Colvin before it closed. So we would we would both each buy a, an eight pack of Jenny Cream Ew. beer, yep, <laughs> um, and then walk to his house, and then from eleven until whenever, drink those beers and and whatever else, and listen to music and talk and and think things up. Yes, and, and he was an walk. expert at that, right? You know what I wanted to ask you is because you you know you knew him when you guys were so young. Did you ever get in trouble? Like, what, can you like tell a story about any time that you got in trouble? Um, I didn't. I didn't hang with him until uh, I was in college. Oh, I knew of him, um, and I knew him, and I like I said, I was more of a fan. Yeah. Um, during the uh, last years of my high school days, and we became really, really close in that year uh, when I went went to college. So, so if you could interview Mark today, what would you ask him? Hmm. Um, I'd say, uh, uh, I guess the first thing I'd ask him is uh, what, what interests him today? Cause what I love about Mark uh, and uh, you know, another uh, major milestone in his life that I feel honored to be part of um, because I put down uh, um, uh, all drinking and drugging uh, in uh, around 1990 um, and we we became friends again um, uh, later on in life, and we were out one night, and and uh, we were at the show place, um, and this was probably in the two thousands or mid nineties, I don't know. And uh, we were watching this band that had kind of cracked through from England, and I think they're called Space Hog or something, mm-hmm. and they sort of had this sort of psychedelic Bowie retro sound, and 
he's looking at me, I'm looking at him and he's looking, he goes, look at these, look at these MFers. Uh, you know, uh, I was doing this in 1974. Yep. And he's looking at me, he looked at the band, he's looking at this beer in his hand and he just put it down. He goes, that's it. Wow. I didn't know that. That was the last time I ever saw him drink. He kept smoking pot. Yeah. Yeah. But what he ended up doing was realizing that, uh, what was always consistent in his life, and this goes all the way back to when I first met him, was making art. Mm-hmm. He never stopped uh, making visual art. Right. I mean, I'm sitting here in my house looking at two or three of his pieces, yeah. um, and just about everybody we know has a piece of art from Mark Freeland. Mm-hmm. And he left hundreds and hundreds of pieces of art, canvases. Um, he was a pure artist uh, more than anything else. So I would ask him, what what are you interested in right now? And what would you like to make? Right. Okay, that's cool. Um, and if you were going to write a song about Mark <laughs> <laughs> and your friendship with Mark, what would you name it? Uh, I'd name it uh, um, Everything, Everywhere, All the Time. Oh, that's a great name. <laughs> All right, now, now you got to write it. <laughs> hey, so uh, we have to go in a couple of minutes, but I wanted to talk about uh, your, well, first of all, do you have anything else you want to say about Mark at the moment? That um, uh, Mark would greet people uh, uh, with love mm-hmm. um, and he would send it out more than anybody I knew. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people didn't get that. A lot of people uh, um, weren't ready for it. Right. I, I think Mark was... Uh, almost like a, uh, a monk in a certain way, um, you know, uh, um, misunderstood and misplaced in his time and place. Um, well, I, uh, I would never have thought of him as that, but that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just, you know, I, I, I just, I don't think I know there was a purity to what he was yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, and I feel sad that, uh, uh, a greater level of recognition, uh, um, you know, didn't hit, hit him up the way it did uh, a lot of the people he inspired. Absolutely. And, you know, the Goo Goo Dolls. He died happy. He died happy. <laughs> yes. Um, and he was, you know, he, he uh, was a happy man when he was putting uh, marks on paper or uh, anywhere else. Right, right, right. Oh, my gosh. This has been so wonderful. But before we go, I just wanted to ask you about a couple of your current endeavors. Um, sure. So, like, tobacco-free Western New York and Apex? Yeah, Apex Leader Growth. I'm, uh, I have a kind of a dual track going on. Um, my regular gig is uh, still fighting the fight against uh, um, Big Tobacco. I mean, they uh, are uh, happy to continue lining their pockets um, yeah. uh, and uh, help uh, more than a half a million Americans die every year from using tobacco. Uh, and we are, uh, you know, we're making improvements. We're making uh, steps in the right direction, but there's always a uh, a new front on, on the fight, and uh, it's based in Roswell. It's built on the uh, science from some of the best uh, researchers in the world, mm-hmm. uh, many of which are uh, uh, work daily at Roswell. Um, oh. And my job is to help uh, educate the public and uh, get them uh, mad enough to want to take uh, steps, and, and we do it. Um, but it's a, it's a steady daily practice. And Apex Leader Growth is uh, out of my uh, love and uh, passion for uh, helping people uh, grow uh, to become the best that they could be, you know, kind of like how people mentored me along the way, like Mark Freeland and Tony Conrad. Um, I want to do the same thing. And uh, it's more in the lines of uh, coaching and teaching. Um, And uh, pretty much uh, in the 90s, when I knew I needed a a bit of a sea change in my life from uh, what I joke and say was the other nine to five uh, running nightclubs. Uh, yeah. I found these people um, who run um, this creativity program out of Buffalo State College. Um, and it was the guys who invented brainstorming. And uh, I that's what I do with Apex Leader Growth is uh, teach and uh, guide people into being uh, uh, more creative in their work life and uh, uh, try and get to the uh, the best things that they want to do in their life when uh, most of the barriers they put we put in front of ourselves are uh, imagined. Wow, that's amazing! And if we wanted to get hold of you, like through Apex, how would we do that? Uh, just write Anthony at apexleadergrowth.com, dot com. All one word. 
Okay, perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was so fun to talk to you. And hopefully yeah, Pauline, we'll be out I'm and glad about. you're doing this. This is uh, going to yeah. be a lot of fun uh, walking down memory lane. For sure. For sure. And uh, we will talk. We'll do another podcast uh, at another time. Okay? All the best. All right. You too. Bye-bye. The only way I can figure it out is that I had been doing my own thing, which included dressing insane, not on stage, but everywhere I went. And not just on stage, but all the time, including in high school and everything. And uh, it was known, I was known for being a wild out. Also my band was known for doing all this really weird theatrical original material. So, which is amazing. It was a great concert, and we were a great band, and, and we we put on such a show. It was really, for the for our age, it was so theatrical, I can't even believe it. But if the punk's girlfriends were ugly, they could have lived with it. <laughs> but the fact that all the punks had chicks that looked like they walked out of penthouse, that, like, and they were all dressed up in the spikes and leathers and everything. This would get these Italians, because they go up and hit on the punk girls, and they go, get lost, loser. And once you've had your sword blunted like that, you gotta kill a punk, <laughs> you know? And that, so for that reason, a million, like the Femmes, we played at the Purple Moose across from the steel plant, opening for Talus, which is a really, Talus, they had like two gongs, a wall of marshals, a wall of SVTs. Hmm. It looked like a music store back there. Walters had a tiny little amp this big. My brother had an amp made from a TV set. It was painted white and had blood all over it and just a speaker, it looked like a TV with a speaker. And I just used one drum, and we're set up in front of this huge wall of equipment, and uh, we, all three of us had Mohawks, and they just did, the crowd didn't want to see us, man. This is like 1979, they, 80, they just wanted to kill us. They kept screaming in between songs, and well, at one point they said to my brother, he had a Kingfisher Mohawk, it looked like he cracked a record into his head. And uh, he said, get a haircut. And my brother, he looked like Linda Blair in The Exorcist. He looked to Walters and he went, John, they want us to get haircuts. And there we are with Mohawks. Well, we started doing that song, Go to a Party and Act Like an Asshole. <laughs> and uh, there was a, they wanted, they were all, the girls in the audience were already beating up the girlfriends. Then it started to get like they were, they were coming after the band. Bill Sheehan came out from Talos. And uh, he said, you got to leave the building like now. Like, don't even finish the song. He's whispering in my ear. And I said, yeah, yeah. And he goes, no, now. And he grabbed me and this circle of talus roadies and bouncers got us out to the car. And there was guys waiting outside for us. And it was so that was when being a punk was, you know, was different than uh, like now when everyone's raising their kids up to look like Sid Vicious. Oh, isn't he cute with his spike hair and leathers? <laughs> And now let's chat with Bud Redding. He's a man of many, many talents, and he's a multi-talented musical artist. He plays keyboard synths, guitar, vocals. These are my words, but he's kind of all things goth and techno. Uh, super <laughs> DJ. He's DJed for The Bills, uh, Club Diablo, many other places. He did booking and promo for The Continental. He is a U.S. veteran. Thank you so much for your service, Bud. You're welcome. Uh, so, and he is like so cool to be the father of all things Continental Reunion and lately the cinematics, which I want to talk about later. Okay. Sounds good. So how are you? 
I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm really good. I'm, I'm traveling for business, but I'm looking forward to getting home tonight. I got to be honest. I, 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 I miss my dogs and my wife. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm sure you'll have a great reunion when you get home. I hope so. Um, so, oh, go ahead. You want me to say something? I was going to say, I, I kind of started in the, the whole scene at McVann's, and that's where I, I think I probably met you the first time there, and, and I met Mark Freeland there, and then after McVann's kind of closed down, I, I started DJing at the Continental, and that's how I got to know everybody in the scene. Well, my gosh, I mean, just the most amazing times, and I'm so glad that you're doing Continental Reunions. Um, we can certainly talk about that later. Is that my phone? Apologies. I'm going to turn that off. Um, and then, um, yeah, so we're, you know, we want to talk about Mark because we're celebrating his life today. And uh, I know that you connected with him uh, many, many, many times. I know that you were in bands with him. But first, when did you first meet Mark? Was it McVans? Yes, the, I, I saw when they were Pegasus and then Pegasonics, I, I saw them at McVans and I was just t- totally enthralled by Mark's stage persona and costumes and, you know, the, all the musicians that were played with them were all like virtuosos basically. Oh. And uh, it was just such a great band. And then it, that kind of evolved into the Electroman thing. And I, and I was lucky to, to jam with Electroman a couple of times and, and that the Electroman started off with just Mark playing with a, with a beatbox. Yeah. His drummer was named Roland. <laughs> it was a Roland beatbox. <laughs> and, and then uh, he's continually added people to that. At one point, they had you know a really large band with percussionists and everything. And right. It was just the best time going to see them and dancing at McBands. And then you know later on the, at the Continental. Yep, yep. Yeah, that was my first exposure to Mark Freeland uh, was in Pegasus. And it was every Thursday night. I was talking to Tony Bellani about this earlier. And uh, I just, it it was such a multi, multi show, you know. So it was the costumes, the progressive music, the ultimate musicianship, you know, the like films. And it just was mega, which Mark was kind of mega. I would say that he was a mega individual. That's what I would say. Yeah. He he was larger than life. That's for sure. Yeah. And I remember going to see the band, The Factor, at McVans. Right. And that, that night pretty much changed my life because uh, they would do – actually, it was The Toys I was at, The the, the Toys. But, yep. And I met Jimbo Freeland, who was in The Factor. Yeah. And the, the Toys would always close their show with God Save the Queen, and everyone from the crowd would rush up and try and grab a microphone and sing along with it. Right. And, and I was singing next to this guy I didn't know. And he had blonde hair on one side and black hair on the other side, and it was Jimbo Freeland. And oh, yeah. he he uh, said, "I'm in a band called The Factor. Come see me." And yeah. so that's that's how I met Jimbo. And and then me and Jimbo started a band called Riot Control. Oh, and we played in Riot Control, which we just changed the name and became Funk Monsters of Moment eventually. Riot yeah. Control was me, Jimbo, and his wife Karen. Uh, so then that I, that was kind of my in. Now now I knew the Freelands, and Jimbo knew I played. Mark was looking for a keyboard player to join uh, Steve Trekus's band, which was called Trelane. Right. And that was, that was Trekus's nickname. And Mark said, I got a guy for you. And I said, you know, Mark told me about it. And I said, well, do I have to audition? He said, no. If I say you're the guy, you're the guy. <laughs> and that was, it. And was in Trelane. <laughs> and and that, that was an experience for me because back then, you know, you didn't have the, the nice digital keyboards that could do a million different things. I had an electric piano and I had an Farfisa organ. I had a Honer string synthesizer in my Art Odyssey, but then Trikas had all these keyboards too. So he had a mini Moog and a Hammond organ and a different electric piano. And he was like, just use all the keyboards. So I had like the biggest keyboard rig of anybody. <laughs> and, and, and that was great because they had a crew. Like I didn't have to move anything. <laughs> Never been treated like that. I just walk up on stage and play. And, yeah. and that, that kind of changed my life. Wow. And uh, me and Mark, me and Mark became really close after that. And uh, you know, unfortunately, Jimbo died in a in a motorcycle accident. Yeah, I lost my best friend. Oh. It's sad. It's still sad to this day. Of course, but it is. yeah. Me and Mark hung out, you know, for years and years after that. And when I got laid off from the Sabers when they had the hockey strike, I was in a, I was in a tough place. And Mark was like, "Just come to my house." 
come to my house. Yeah. And I'd just go to his house and we'd hang out. He'd have the TV on. He'd have the records playing. And he's playing guitar. And it was like, <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd watch, uh, what's that movie he watched every day? Uh, I can't think of the name of the movie, but every day you went over it. Island. (laughs) (laughs) It was always it was always a a trip. And Mark knew so much about music, and he he taught me so much at that time. Yeah. He used to call me the Wall of Sound, which was my nickname from Mark because there's a couple times I help him with some of his musical projects and stuff, and Mm -hmm. just refer to me as the Wall of Sound. The Wall of of Sound. Hey, um, what was it like to be in a band with him? Well, he was in Funk Monsters with us. And it, it, yeah, it was, again, constantly learning things when you're around him. And uh, we, had, we, for some reason, we didn't have a drummer at one point. I think when Roy Staley had moved away, he was our drummer. And so Mark said, well, I'll be your drummer. So I was like, all right, <laughs> you be our drummer. Then we got a different drummer, Joe Marciniak, and Mark said, I'll be your guitar player. <laughs> so Mark was our guitar player. And he, he was he was great on both instruments. You know, he's good, he could play anything. Right. He played, he played clarinet really good, like virtuoso. <laughs> he played drums. He played guitar. He could play bass. He had keyboards. I, and matter of fact, when, when Mark passed away, Carla, his you know, longtime girlfriend, uh, gave me one of Mark's keyboards, his Kawhi. So I, I still oh. have that in my studio. I, I, I treasure it. So nice. So, yeah, so Mark and I used to listen to music a lot, like everybody else did. And his favorite, when I first met him, was Patti Smith. And um, mine was Peter Hamill, which was, nobody knows who he is, but he was kind of like a really angst progressive. You know who he is? No, I do. I know. I remember the album cover where he has a beard on one side of his face and no beard on the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite song, (laughs) A Plague of Lighthouse Keepers. Yes. Anyway, so it would be he and I and this guy, I believe he changed his legal name to Alice Cooper. <laughs> and he and he was all things Alice Cooper. So the three of us would hang out and we would just like rotate songs by each of the artists and just have a fun time and smoke too much weed and things like that. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, so do you um, do you have any like funny stories or any memories of Mark that you could share? <laughs> <laughs> some I could share. Well, I remember one time he, he had this bass player that uh, an electroman that could play the thumpy bass with his thumb type of thing, you know. Yeah. And that and he taught like Jimbo how to do that and stuff. So that that, that was cool. We were sitting outside. I think his name was Larry. We were sitting outside of Larry's apartment. Me, Mark, and and Mark's girlfriend at that time. We're all sorry. That's my my email from work. We were all uh, sitting in his car drinking beer. And I told a funny story, and Mark spit all of his beer on the, my inside of my windshield in the oh. front seat. <laughs> he was just because he laughed so hard, and all the beer spit out. And I was like, I was just dying. I was laughing so hard. So then, about two minutes later, the same thing happened again. I had said something else funny, and Mark was just like, "Stop it! You're killing me!" <laughs> <laughs> the inside of my car was just covered in beer, of course. Well, that, that, that's well, one I remember. Yeah. And, and and when I was, you know, like I said earlier, but when I got laid off from the Sabres. I was, it, was, it was a bad time in my life. And uh, the uh, just going over and hanging out with Mark. When Mark, <laughs> here's another funny story too. Mark had those two books that came out, which are just, you know, they're masterpieces with right. his artwork and little captions and stuff. I'm sure you've seen. And uh, he, he, when they got released, he said, can you drive me around? Because Mark never drove. He never had right. a driver's That's license. Right. To yep. And he said, uh, can you drive me around? We're going to go drop off these books somewhere. I said, sure. And he said, first, I, I, I need you to come with me because he knew I, I was, you know, a Marine, basically. <laughs> and he, he said, I, I have to go deposit money at the bank first before we go. And I said, okay, okay no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll be your bodyguard. And he literally had like $50,000 in cash. What? I was like, oh, my what? God. <laughs> he just had this giant I don't know how much it was but it was more money than I've ever seen in my life Wow! And so we, we took the money to the bank and then we had a couple cases of these books and we, were gonna, we, we went to a bunch of different bookstores and Mark was trying to get them to carry his books and you know some people were real uh, you know helpful to him and some people were like no we don't carry local books you know so we were driving around and we're driving by the mighty taco way out there on Niagara Falls Boulevard. And he said, are you hungry? And I said, yeah, I'm pretty hungry. And he said, well, let's go to my taco. Pull in here. We go in. 
And Mark said, order whatever you want. Okay, I got a couple of mighty tacos or whatever. And, you know, the girl rings it up and she said, that, that's, you know, $14.80. And Mark said, oh, no, I, I don't pay for my tacos. And the girl was like, the girl was like what? And he goes, no, I, I get lifetime free tacos. And the girl was like, nobody gets lifetime free tacos. What are you talking about? And because Mark had done all those commercials yeah. for Mighty Taco I back in the day. I'm to find one of those commercials. If you find one, let me know. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so the girl gets on the phone. She calls like the district manager. And then they get, I think all of who the owners are, Andy and Dan or something. And one of them got on the phone and said, oh, it's Mark Freeland. Yeah, he gets free tacos. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what he actually did. That's probably his payment. For the commercial? <laughs> I, I think it was. He got lifetime free tacos. Yep. And you see on the back of the one Electro Man album, there he's sitting at the mixing board, and there's a mighty taco, a taco sitting right on the mixing board. Yep. So I'm sure that was that was part of it, you know, yeah. product placement, you know. But that, that, that was um, definitely a funny story. That is definitely a funny story, and that's so Mark. That's just Do you remember the, the the one? I I can't remember all the commercials, but sometimes he'd base them on songs that he liked. Like uh -huh. kind of like a cover, but change the lyrics. Right, right, he right. Had, he had the one from Salisbury Hill by Peter Gabriel. Oh, oh my gosh, it, yeah. I think it went like, I don't want no burgers and fries. Dun, 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 dun. Chicken wings make me dry. Dun, 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 dun. And then went into Mighty Tacos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah, he was, um, I remember that song reminded me of him, and it was before the Mighty Taco commercial. But I wanted to just go back for a second because – Mark did a lot of things, you know, trading for, okay, so he did it, he used a lot of his talents and traded it for stuff like Mighty Taco. Um, he actually produced, mixed uh, a song that I did called Enough by a band I was in called The Rain. Right, played, right, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to, I'll play it later, but um, he did that for a case of beer. <laughs> <laughs> but how much do you want, Mark, really? I know, you know, you're a struggling musician like everybody else. Just a case of beer, honey. Just a case of beer. So that's what he did. I think it was like no-name beer or something horrible. used to buy that beer in the yellow case that just yeah. said beer on it Ew, right yeah. Yeah, yeah i remember walking down elmwood one day and there's mark and he's wearing like like a one-piece pajamas blue pajamas like with feet on them and everything like a little kid would wear <laughs> and and he's carrying a case of yellow beer <laughs> and he, and then he he's made me stop and he talked to me and he, and he was wearing a, a native american headdress too just yeah, yeah, yeah. i know that was a spiritual basis yeah and, you know, i'm still friends with one of mark's native american friends ed coban me and him are really close and we're actually working on a song together for mark's birthday coming up oh and, good I hope you yeah. send it to me. I want to hear it or put it on my Facebook page or something. Let me yeah, when it's not, something. I, yeah. it's, we're using the acapella app, which is a cool new app. Yeah. And uh, I, I did a couple parts and then I sent it to Ed and he's adding a couple parts. So when I get home tonight, that's one of my things I got to work on. But I, I'll get you when, it, when it's finished. I'll, I'll get it to you. Perfect. Perfect. So if you. Well, actually, the question I have is pretty interesting because it's just what you're talking about. So writing a song about Mark and perhaps even your friendship with Mark, what would you call it? I already did it. I, when I was in the band Cowboys of Scotland, I wrote my first rock opera and it was called original, the Mark Freeland story. Oh, and, well, I wrote yeah. that too. Where can I get that? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get you a copy of that. I, I have some of that, but, uh, I actually have an acapella app of me doing one of the songs too. But the biggest song in it was called Epic. And it was just about, it was about Mark. It yeah. was about Mark being bigger than life and, you know, 
he was like on stage and everything. I'll I'll dig out the lyrics and, and make sure you have a copy of them. Oh, too. perfect, perfect. Thanks so much. We we did about we performed it live twice, once at Diablo and once at Nietzsche's. I hired videos and special lighting and we really really did it up and uh it, it went over pretty good. It was it was a, a big undertaking, you know, but it was it was for Mark, and yeah, and that's like, what he just what he would have done. He would have made it a production, and I'm sure he felt right. really honored by that. There's a good picture of me playing it at Nietzsche's, and I'm I'm singing behind my keyboard as I'm pointing up in the sky, and on the screen behind me, there's like a blurred vision of Mark. So it's like me and Mark are in Aww. the picture together. I'll make sure you get that too. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. So, I've totally been uh, loving your quarantine hair videos that you're doing <laughs> on Facebook. Um, yes. And such, just such a good use of your time during this last insane year. Uh, but by the way, I love your hair right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't, because I had to get it cut for work. Oh, so, why do they make you do that? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to grow it long again. So I had to meet the senior vice president of operations. I you know, have a real job and, and uh, down here in Atlanta. Helping in it, he uses me as like a troubleshooter okay. when they have problems at an account. So I, I I only get to travel when there's a problem. Okay. And so I'm down here, and uh, the day before I called my friend John Bertini, and I was like, who I met through Jimbo and Mark, and I said I need an emergency haircut, <laughs> and I I got it cut. And so I'm sitting at the hotel bar the other night with my senior vice president of operations, and I showed him the picture of how my hair was, and he goes, Ah, oh, man, you should have kept it. Oh That's right. See? Don't change for anything. <laughs> right. I'm going to grow it long again. I, I enjoyed having a ponytail. All my marine yeah, friends. Yeah. Of so me. You have this thick gray hair, which is so cool. Yeah. Nancy J. Parisi took a great picture. She made quarantine hair pictures with people. Ah. And I, I qualified for one. <laughs> awesome. Um, so right now you're doing something called the cinematics. Is that your latest Musical thing? Yes, we kind of put it on pause, obviously, during the pandemic, but we're getting it back together. Okay. Uh, we do music that was used in picture, in motion pictures, wow. movies, and, and then we project the video from that movie behind us at the same time it was used in the movie was the song that we're playing. That oh, makes cool. sense. Any like is it is it what type of movies or is it any type of movies? So we've done two shows and the, the we're gonna do a reunion show coming up, I think in July at the Cape. And this it's gonna be the first one we did was all the Tarantino movies. <laughs> and then we did the all the Jack Hughes. Like the whole thing, blood and guts and everything. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. God. Okay. That's your goth man. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> we did like, you know, songs from Pulp Fiction and right. all the other uh, Tarantino films. And then we did all the John Hughes films because John Hughes always had this great music in, in his right. movies. Yep. Like, uh, I can't think of a blank on some of the movies here. But uh, then we're going to do Hughes versus Tarantino. That's going to be our, our reunion show. We're going to do all songs right. from both. And uh, with Gu Gus Walters, who's an amazing musician, probably the nicest person I've ever met. Huh. And he, he's, he does all the video. He's like a genius when it comes to the video and stuff. So he has an iPad on his mic stand. He's playing guitar. He's singing and he's cueing the videos. Ah, one of those people. That's so awesome. Yeah. Uh, the drummer, Mark Niemensky, who uh, is engaged to my daughter. I introduced oh, wow. those two. And they're, now they're engaged. So that, that worked out pretty good. They met at the Continental Reunion. Hey, there. Uh, see, see the things. They saw you play there. That's all uh -huh, that's, uh -huh. They both see you perform. Uh, Mark Hunt, who's, you know. Yep, I know Mark. Everywhere. You know Mark. He's, he's the bass player. His son, Elliot, is the guitar player. He's and Elliot and Mark, the drummer, also play in their band, Mom Said No. Yeah. So it's kind of a, all, all together. And then Tina is our singer. Uh -huh. had a couple of different singers. We had male singers and female singers, but Tina's going to do the reunion show for it. And I'm really looking forward to that. I miss cool. playing. Well, let me know that, when that that's going to be. I will. Yeah. Yes start rehearsing we're all vaccinated and stuff now so we're, we're going to start rehearsing i've been vaxxed <laughs> i've um, got the 5g chip <laughs> oh yeah well okay let's i just don't want any more but anyway so continental reunion i'm hearing a buzz about the possibility of one coming up is that yeah yes i've talked to the gentleman at the town ballroom Artie and, and uh 
his partners down there and we're going to we're shooting for october if oh. everything if everything's going well the pandemic starts to decline people are getting vaccinated you know we're still just in the talking stages but we're definitely going to plug one into uh october just like we did last time and you know use the the leopard lounge for the bands and use the djs on the main stage oh i just <laughs> no you don't like that well i don't because it totally dishonors okay let's not get into an argument during the interview but i feel as one of the musicians that plays there it just totally makes the music secondary so i would just encourage you to have a open mind about maybe doing dj in between the bands and using that, that's not a bad idea that's that's really not a bad idea and i also thought of you know having the bands in the lounge and you know having the, the main stage as the dance floor but then having the headliner like pauline and the perils play on the main stage as well if i can pull that off that that would be really cool well you know there's lots of people that could headline but i just really want to pull for the i mean you're a musician bud i know you're a dj but you're also a musician you got to connect with that vibe man <laughs> The main stage is where the music, and that's the biggest thing. And I know that in the Continental days, you were probably more of an upstairs Continental person than a downstairs Continental person. But truly. I think think I'm the only person that played in a band downstairs, DJed upstairs, and was a manager at the Continental. Okay, all right. Well. I I played all three. (laughs) Then you get it. And I know you'll make the best decision. And it won't be having a And I'm leaning towards at least maybe. Maybe one or two bands on the main stage. All right. Well, that'd be if awesome. I pull, if I can pull it off. A lot, right. lot of lot of backline equipment will be needed. Well, let me know if I can help in any particular way, and I'm happy to do that. Um, and then I just wanted to ask you, because we're coming to a close here, is there mm-hmm. anything else you want to say about Mark or life or anything? Uh, that's a good question. My, I mean, Mark was just a huge influence in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was you know, a musical influence as well as a close friend. And that always means a lot to me. Yeah. Well, he was, he was such a a loving person amidst all of the other stuff. He loved everyone. And I kind of learned that from him. Just love everyone. You know, I was about 19 years old and it's kind of stayed with me. So I do. It was sad (laughs) when he passed away. I I saw him just a few days before he died. You did? Yeah. And Carlos said, it's Bud. And he goes, I know who it is. (laughs) he was he was he was in pretty rough shape just then and i i try and remember all the good times we had not think about that day right 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 and i'm sure he would love it that way Mm -hmm. so all right darling well i'm going to talk to you soon i want to see all the new stuff you're doing please put it on my page uh anything you want to say about your page or upcoming anything else continental reunion we already talked about but anything else you want to say we're going to do a Continental Reunion. It's a lot of reunion stuff. I'm doing a Continental Reunion. We're doing a Funk Monsters and Woman Reunion. Oh, yay. Um, we're going to do the Cinematics Reunion. So um, um, hopefully, you know, things keep going. People get their vaccinations, like I said, and, you know, social distance, wear a mask, wash your hands, all that good stuff. And, and we can get things back to normal. And then we can start performing and, and stuff again. Yes, please. <laughs> you got it. You got yeah. it, Pauline. And I have to I have to say too, let me just close on this one, is that I've been a fan of yours forever. And I I remember what the first night I met you, you guys were rehearsing in a garage in an alley behind uh-huh. my first apartment ever. Grand-way, grand-way. We were walking around and I you know, and I, I, I heard the band. You were doing like a kind of a reggae vibe thing. Right. Or like a ska thing and, and I I walked back and introduced myself to you, and, and we've been friends ever since, and it means a lot to me. Yeah. Oh, yay. Well, that's the beauty of music. brings us all together in the same language. That's all true. right. Well, um, we will talk to you soon, and bye, bud. Bye-bye, and thank you so much, Pauline.
Hi. What do you say about Mark Freeland in a minute? Tough task. Um, Mark walked through life like a kid in a candy store. He was amazed with everything he saw and in love with everyone he met. Um, Mark saw things in a different way than the rest of us. An artistic, loving soul that noticed every single detail. Read his books, feel his art, listen to his music. Mark celebrated life. I'm glad you're here with us celebrating his. Thanks for coming to the party. Wow, thank you to everyone who participated in the first episode of the Perilous Pauline podcast. It was really so great to spend time with you celebrating the musical, mystical life of Mark Freeland. We really miss you, Mark. If you're interested in purchasing Mark's art and music, I will post a link on my website, paulineinthepodcast.com. Next month, which will be available on June 1st, we're going to be featuring none other than Robbie Tekak from the Goo Goo Dolls and special guests. Immense uber giant thanks to Elmer Plotz and Maddie Pelkey for technical and emotional support. But until then, Buffalo Rocks people, share the love. Take my